Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and my show is brought to you by my company. We publish software tools and books that help people communicate more effectively with each other at work. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am really excited to welcome as my guest, Vince Verano. And I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend and colleague, Fred Diamond, who's the one who introduced us. So thank you, Fred. Vince is such a delightful person. I'm so glad, Vince, to have you on my show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. And before we jump into the conversation, let me tell my listeners a little bit more about you. Vince is the Vice President of Sales for the Commercial Division of JK Moving Services, which is the nation's largest independent mover based in Sterling, Virginia. And Vince's approach to leadership is totally aligned with the focus of this show. And that's why I'm so looking forward to my conversation with him today. As a leader, Vince promotes a culture that values trust, respect, and collaboration in order to foster continuous improvement. And he believes learning and growth are the keys to success at both the individual and team level. He's the author of a new book, A Daily Dose of Sales Wisdom, which is a book that offers practical advice for sales professionals and leaders who want to excel. So Vince, what I want to start with is having you tell us a little bit about your journey as a sales leader. How did you get into this profession and then move into leadership roles? So that's a great question. Um, I never envisioned myself going into professional sales. I actually had gone to school and got a bachelor's in philosophy from Catholic University because I thought I wanted to go to law school. But by the time I graduated, I realized that I I really didn't have the money to go to law school and I needed to just start working. And my father hates this story, but but I think it's on point. Back in the day, there was no internet. So you used to have to go to get the newspaper to look at the want ads. And he'd come by and go, hey, is anybody hiring any philosophers today, you know, as a joke? um, It wasn't funny then either. Um, As I joke with him, I said I made a scarred for life with that. But I did find an opportunity to go into sales, and it was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. And uh, I did that for a month or so. And what I learned was I actually enjoyed sales, but I wanted to be in business, business to business sales. And uh, I went to work for a few companies, and eventually that became not a job, but a career path. And then I very quickly moved up into a sales leadership position and been doing that for, for, for about 25 years. Well, we're going to get into some of the approaches you take to leading people. I'd like to kick off, though, in asking you, why was it you wrote this book? What was it My that book. was driving you? 
My yes. book here, right? Yes, your your new yeah. book, A Daily Dose of Sales Wisdom. And thank you for the plug. I appreciate it as well. So I've always wanted to write a book. It's one of those bucket list items. And so back at the end of 2019, I said, you know, I'm going to make this my New Year's resolution. I have to be honest, though. My, my batting average with New Year's resolutions is about zero. But I decided to give it the old college try anyway. I went out and I bought a, um, a nice journal and a nice pen. And I just started, you know, on the first, on January 1st, with trying to write for 15 minutes a day. Just jot down some stories or thoughts. And then over the course of the next year or so, just, you know, maybe it wasn't every day, but putting together some notes, eventually putting together a manuscript. And then um, I was so fortunate to have it published uh, this past September. So it took, it took um, a year and nine months to get done. It's just amazing. And then, of course, what happens after that? Um, I'm getting ready to publish a second book on sales. And I asked the publisher, I said, I don't understand. This one didn't take me any time at all. And she said, well, the first one's always the hardest. And then they just come from there. So as um, you know, I'm sure other people like you, you're a noted author as well. Sometimes the second one comes a lot easier than the first. That's definitely true. Uh, there's so much to learn in the writing of that first book. And I really enjoyed it. There's so much richness in that book that I think is so valuable for leaders in any role, uh, not just sales. And I want to go into some of those areas that you cover because I think they're, they're so important. And I just love your focus throughout on your own learning and growth. It's one of the things I really admire about you and your approach that you are a continuous learner. I guess we're kindred spirits that way because I'm always uh, eager to learn new things. One of the things I wanted to start with is what do you see as some of the most important skills for a leader to have in order to be effective and in particular, the role of trust? I think it's a, it's a very powerful question. I, I think one of the first things, and you kind of touched on it, is you have to be willing to be a continuous learner. I read somewhere um, that a team can never grow further than the leader. So you become the stop point. So if you're not always uh, moving in the direction of trying to become better um, and, and more aware and implement new ideas, then you'll at some point suffocate the team, even if that's not your intention. Um, your lack of growth will, will prevent them from growing. Um, I think that trust is a huge factor in that. Um, you have to be open to the criticism. And I think a lot of times, and you know, um, I learned this when I was a, a volunteer firefighter, actually, when I was very young, and I, I got into a leadership position. And um, I had always heard jokingly that you know, rank has its uh, privileges. And one of the older gentlemen pulled me to the side and he said, no, rank has its responsibilities. He said, get that straight. He said, otherwise you're gonna be a disaster. And uh, it really stuck with me. You know, it was one of those learning moments when I was about you know, 20 or 21 years old. And um, it, it really did stick with me. You have to create a culture of trust, which means people have to feel comfortable in the security that they can talk to you freely without fear of, 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 of compromise. 
And at the same time, you have to be willing to accept criticism, even if it's in public, to show people that it's safe for them to speak up. Because the worst thing to happen is for your most loyal people to go quiet because you don't listen. And that happens in a lot of organizations, as I'm sure you know. Um, that idea of trust, not only on a professional level, but for most people, particularly uh, the millennials and Generation Z, on a personal level, is so critical because they won't care what you know until they know that you care. And so if you can't exhibit that, uh, and be genuine about it. They'll, they'll they won't engage you, and you'll end up having you know people turning over in your organization because you're scaring them away because you're only focused on their work person and not on the whole person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> great, great points in there. I want to explore a couple of them. One is you just mentioned the millennials, and I loved the chapters that you have in your book around how to be effective with millennials. Cause I think sometimes leaders are looking at them saying they need to do this differently, or they need to do that. What are some of the strengths that you have found that millennials bring to the table and how can a leader more effectively, you know, really bring out the best in them and what they have to offer? I think that's a, it's a good question. They bring enthusiasm. And, and I, I really do like that. I think that, um, I don't want to say other people aren't, but I think there's some special enthusiasm in youth. And I think that people see all that can be, and they don't have all the baggage of having done, you know, been older, and, you know, and all the bad things that could happen. They're really a little bit naive, but in a good way, because they're always looking for the silver lining. And uh, you never want to crush that. You know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. the thing that we're always trying to motivate people to be more positive and outgoing and enthusiastic. And yet that's what they bring to the table. And what I found in working with them is that you want to cultivate that and you want them to run. You just want to help make sure they run in the right direction because they're so, they're so enthusiastic. They just want to go. And sometimes it helps just to, you know, give them some advice so that they're running, you know, in the right direction so they can be successful. And when they see that you are more interested in them uh, doing better as a whole person, uh, they can be very coachable. And that's the other thing. They'll be very coachable. And then every moment you spend with them, it's going to pay dividends because once you cover a certain topic, you're not going to have to keep covering it with them. Mm. So from a leadership or management point of view, you get a good return on investment for your time. I'm not the type of person that, when they come to me, as much, as fun as it used to be, you know, when someone came to you with a question and in two seconds you can answer it, what you end up doing is you cultivate an environment where people always come to you because they're not thinking for themselves. Mm-hmm. Instead, I spend 10 minutes and ask them lots of questions and help them self-discover that they knew the, they knew the answer all along. And while you're spending more time up front, in the long run, you're really helping them to stand on their own two feet and be more um, self-reliant, which I mm-hmm. think is a, is a life skill that's very important. Well, I love that, of course, because I'm a big believer in asking questions and not telling. And the point you just made is so important, which is you foster independent thinking and independence and less reliance 
on you, which I think is fantastic. Another area that that I wanted to go into with you based on what you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. one of your focuses with your team is this whole idea of continuous improvement, where you're going to be learning together. So I'd love for you to talk about, because I think some of the other folks listening to this may want to try what you do in terms of studying a book and working through it together, learning from it together. I think that's very powerful. What's your structure and approach to doing that? Um, so we've done it a couple of different ways. Uh, in the past, what I used to do was to buy copies of books and we would, as a team, maybe read uh, you know, three or, or four a year. Um, and so I'd buy copies of the book. And then I realized that although I enjoy reading because I like to read with a highlighter, that my sales team actually spends a great deal of time in the car and that many of them actually just wanted to download the audio. So now what we do is we'll, we'll pick books and sometimes I'll get some input from members of the team or something that I've read that I thought would be useful to them and we'll assign it out. And then during um, our team meetings, which happen twice a month, we'll take uh, 10 or 15 minutes and we'll, you know, allow everybody to bring up a point or something they thought was particularly powerful or how we could apply it to our business. And it's been very helpful. I will also tell you that on a couple of occasions that um, I went to the authors on LinkedIn and said, hey, I want to thank you. You wrote a great book. I bought a copy for my whole team and we read it and it was great. Two authors actually offered to come to a virtual sales meeting. And they spent an hour answering questions and talking about it. Um, uh, that was uh, uh, Lee Sauls and Mike Weinberg. And to have the author, as I'm sure you know, you know, for, 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 for gratis, you know, nothing in return other than their appreciation. To spend that time, my team was so excited to be able to, to hear from the author and ask questions and get some insights. And in one case, we were working on our power statements, our introductions. And we actually got to rehearse in front of the author who came up with this concept and he provided some feedback. So from a, from a learning experience, it's very hard to get anything much better than that. Oh yeah, that's, I, I just love your commitment. And that tells me a lot about your leadership style, just in the way you're committed to helping the members of your team learn. And I know you're also a real big believer in one-on-one meetings. You've got your sales meetings, as you mentioned, <clears throat> but you also like to invest time <clears throat> in meeting with people individually. I'd love to have you talk about why is that so important? What do you learn from those? And how do you use that time? What kinds of things do you talk about? So, yeah, we, um, I call them an individual strategy meeting. It's an ism for sure. And I put them on calendar and they're anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour uh, with each um, sales professional on my team. <clears throat> and the way that we, we have it structured, it's our time together. And sometimes we'll even do it over breakfast or lunch to get away from the office. It's our quiet time. And we're going to talk about their activities and their sales performance and all those kind of critical things that you would do in a one-on-one meeting when you're managing sales professionals. But then the other thing we're going to do or what we do is, is spend some time talking about, you know, what do they want to do to get better? Where do they want to go? How do they want to grow? 
And I always ask him, what can I do better to support that so that I understand that and give them that opportunity? I think we have to be realistic in the fact, um, and I'm not trying to promote turnover by any stretch, but I read some books about millennials and Generation Z, and many of them are going to work for 10 or more companies in their career. They're just going to be much more mobile uh, than many of us were. And so you, you can't approach it and say, well, I'm hiring somebody who's 25 and I'm going to make sure they work here for the next 40 years. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. If it happens and that's, they're happy and productive, that's great. So I think what I want to make sure I do is that while they're here, um, they're as productive as possible and that they always look back on the experience as being a positive experience. You don't want to be the example of what not to do as a, as a leader. You'd be much preferred to be the example of what it looked like to be good and kind of be that standard when they do go somewhere else that they're looking for someone you know, with similar attributes so that their development can continue as well. Mm-hmm. I just, I love all the different things you cover with them. And I'm curious, what are some things when you ask them about yourself, what are some of the things that have come up? that they give you feedback on and you realize, oh, I could do that better. I could make a change here. What have you learned? Um, I've learned quite a bit. I I will say that when you're sitting face to face with somebody and and you're their supervisor, you know, it's sometimes hard to come up with too many negatives. Um, So they'll they'll tend to focus on things I could help them with that maybe aren't something I'm not doing well, but that they would want some help with. So to complement that, and I just went through it, Um, about two weeks ago is annually I send out a 360 opportunity, which is I send out a survey, uh, actually my, uh, we send it out on like, um, what is it like survey monkey. So it's totally anonymous and they get to score me on my effectiveness, you know, my ability to help them, you know, 20 different questions. And so they can be brutally honest. And I put that in my email. But the only way I'm going to learn is that if they're brutally honest. And then what I do with the results is I send them back out to the entire team so they can see their answers in relation to what other people said. So you're really putting yourself out there. But I've done it every year um, that I've been with JK. And it really is helpful because there's always a couple of things that I don't score as high on. And I'll, I'll send out a communication and I'll let them know that for the coming year, those are part of my goals to improve in that area. So it shows that I'm listening. And then I ask him to hold me accountable that I'm telling you that I'm going to work on these things. So if you don't see improvements then you have to call me out on it, and that's part of it is as a leader, you have to allow people, you should never criticize in public someone else, but you have to be willing to accept that criticism in public and, and show that, that there's safety in doing that. Mm-hmm. And that is such a critical point because if people aren't feeling safe about giving feedback, there's going to be so much you don't know that you really need to know about effectiveness. And so when I think about having these um, you know, private meetings with people, I want to think about, let's think of a specific situation where one of your salespeople is underperforming. 
And so you're needing to sit down with them because I know one of the things that many leaders struggle with is how to have conversations where they are direct and honest with this other person about the shortfalls and what's needed. Talk about the approach that you take, because I know you have such a way of being supportive and helpful, wanting to not cause the person to feel like they've just been you know, criticized harshly and demotivated. Talk about your approach. So I would put those things in the category of the difficult conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot written by people much smarter than me. And and I encourage people to look at that information. What I found and my takeaway is this. If you truly care for the person as a person, then you owe it to them to be honest. And you want to do it in such a way to not talk about them, but talk about behaviors and outcomes. So if you have somebody who's underperforming, it's not, hey, Tim, you know, you're, you're doing a really bad job. It's Tim, your, your outcome, your, your sales results are not in line with expectation. And then ask them, why do they think that is? And really listen. And there's a great quote about hearing what's not said as much as hearing what's said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you've talked about that before as well. And I I think there's a lot of truth to that because oftentimes what you'll find is that people have challenges that you don't know about. And oftentimes, even your better performers, they're going through some personal things. Um, Or, and again, we're not looking for excuses, but you, you know, we're all people and we're living a life and work is a component of life. It's not the entirety. And, you know, maybe you're learning something about a challenge that they have and they could use a little bit more support or they're a little bit distracted. Um, And what can you do to help that person focus? They'll never be able to separate home from work. So that's that's not the goal. But the goal is is that when they're working, that they're they're a little bit more focused to it. And then maybe giving them some time off, you know, each day to to address their personal matter so that they can get that under control without feeling guilty or that they have to hide it. So a lot of times you'll get some things that come to the surface and you help people get back on track. Because in the end, I want everybody who's working for me to be successful on multiple levels. Not just what they're selling, but I want them to to live a a happy and productive life. And I have an obligation as a leader while I'm there um, to make that difference for them. Um, Because I can make a difference in one of two ways, right? One is not so good and one is much better. So you got to stay focused to that. Yeah, that whole thing of of really listening for what's not said, instead of just taking at face value, what somebody is saying, and just listening to you, you are such a person of, of caring, it just comes across so clearly that the folks that work with you, even though you were just talking earlier about not being too concerned about turnover, you're the kind of leader, the boss that someone I would think would enjoy working with and for because they sense how much you really do care. Your values are so aligned with what helps someone really grow and and thrive. And one of the other inspiring stories to me in your book was how you all handled COVID 
when that hit, because you were really had some great momentum building in early 2020. And then all of a sudden, it was like you ran into a wall. And with the moving company, the impact of that was huge. And yet you used such creativity to thrive in that environment. So I want you to talk about that because it has lessons, not just for COVID, but in general, when we face unexpected setbacks and challenges. Yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting time, as I'm sure it was for all of us. Um, we've always taken the point of view here that the sales team that all up and in is almost 20 people, including administrative support, is responsible to help support the other 200 people work in our business unit, most of whom are the truck drivers and movers that go out. So if we're not doing well, they're hourly, they're not getting paid, and that creates challenges for that. So we have to be the tip of the spear. And when this, um, when this situation happened, I decided that as unsure as I was about what to do that was right, that doing something be sitting around hoping for things to get better. So I, I worked up a plan. I pulled some people from my team who were a little bit more seasoned, more senior. And uh, although we don't have much of a pyramid structure, I put some people in charge of some mini teams and we found ways to um, ensure a lot of communication. So we did some joint calls during the day. I would, I would um, you know, have a, a lunchtime call to give everybody updates on what we were doing and hear success stories. Um, the team leads were getting with their three or four people in the mornings and making sure they were up and ready and where they needed help. And then at the end of the day, at five o'clock, all the team leads and I circle back together for what do I need to know? You know who might need to reach out? Um, who might be struggling? Um, you know, what can we do to stay focused? And by doing that, that, that communication and also coming up with themes because, you know, you couldn't go out and see clients. So we came up with ideas and said, okay, today the theme of the day might be, um, you know, calling current customers just to check on their mental health. You know, how are they doing? And then we, you know, everybody would be making those types of phone calls and giving reports and updates. And maybe we had you know, another day where we're focused to something else. But again, always trying to make sure we were pointing the ship in a direction so that people were engaged and they weren't, they weren't trying to rely on their own sense of creativity, not that they're not, but that they weren't sitting at home with no direction. And, you know, as we're doing this and this stuff is starting to work and we're targeting um, different areas to make even cold call blitzes and send emails at one point, we were trying to get into a certain vertical and I told everybody to research their companies that they were given and to send at least 10 emails to that company to all different levels. Because right now with what's going on, yes, the facility manager might be the person typically involved, but given it's a crisis, maybe the CFO's on a task force. We started doing things like that and getting responses. I mean, at one time, I, we were on some conference calls at 8.30 at night and a couple of times on a Sunday afternoon with people who, you know, because you lose track of the days, they were looking for some help. So we were working almost, I don't want to say around the clock, but it felt around the clock and it gave everybody some purpose. And I'll tell you, I think it helped people get through it because 
they, they were focused, you know, even though they were home and it was that, that part was hard. Um, they had purpose in what they were doing and they were seeing some results and we could celebrate as a team. And, and those things are um, self-fulfilling. Right. And they, and it's the flywheel effect. Mm-hmm. And so the result was you had a really good year last year, right? Yes. We actually grew the business uh, as compared to being flat or shrinking. And within our industry, when you talk to other people in the, in the moving business, you know, I saw people's business off by you know, 30 or 40%. I know one or two companies that even for a while, they basically shut the door. And yet we found year over year growth. So it's just amazing what you can do um, if you put your mind to it. And I, you know, it's not a thing to brag, but it, I think so often we can hold that pity party where we go, woe is me. And I think that we need to spend an equal amount of time um, expressing gratitude for what we do have and, and, and stay a little bit more focused on that healthy thinking mm-hmm. because it's contagious. Mm-hmm. And so particularly as a sales leader, you, know, you might be having a, a bad day. And you know, there's a part here, I, I, I talk about this story about being on stage, if that's okay for a moment. Sure. Um, you're, you're always on stage. And I, you have to remember that because you might just get off a difficult phone call with a client, and then you walk into the office to get some fresh air, and you've got, you know, a puss on your face, and everybody sees that, and they start to wonder what's going on. You're not intending to send a negative message, but you are. And now I'm more aware of that. And where it really came to light was a number of years ago, I was coaching middle school football, and some of the moms had gotten together after practice and bought some pizza the kids. And so we're all sitting there on the field and the moms are passing out pizza and another mom is passing out napkins. So I was just being my funny self. I said, no, I don't need a napkin. I have a sleeve and I wiped my mouth with my sleeve. Well, to, to, to my horror, next thing you know, I got 16 boys who are 12 and 13 years old, all wiping their mouth with their, their pizza covered face with their sleeves. And the three moms looking at me like, really? Did you just do that? Look what you did. And I had no idea. And you're on stage, whether it's there or somewhere else. And then, by the way, I went home and explained it to my wife and I thought I'd get some support and she yelled at me too. So <laughs> I knew that I was, uh, I had done something you know, wrong, but um, you, know, you have to be very aware when you're in that role, uh, everything you do uh, is going to be perceived. And how is it going to be perceived? Mm-hmm. That's that's a great story. I love that. And, you know, it just speaks to the fact that we are being watched all the time. And especially, like you say, people who are in your charge are really paying attention to your mood. And that will bring me to the really, I guess, the last thing I'd love for us to cover, because you learned this early on in your sales days, the importance of mindset. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what does mindset mean to you? How do you keep a positive mindset yourself and help your team members develop that? So mindset is very important in the way that I would describe it. I'm sure there's more proper way, but is a, is a frame of reference. And so where I talk about it in the book, when I was first in sales, I looked at it as a job. And so I had to be there at eight and you couldn't leave before five. And basically I colored inside the lines because that's what was expected. 
But eventually it got to the point where I said, wait a minute, this is not a job. This could be a career. I'm actually not too bad at this. I think if I really applied myself and I stopped worrying about being inside the lines, that I could be much more successful. And it was there that I very quickly uh, realized that, you know, I could go in early, I could work late, I could do some things at night or on the weekends. And I'm not talking about being a workaholic, but just now that I was investing in myself and I wasn't trying to be compliant with the parameters of a job, it took on a whole new meaning. And my mindset in sales has always been that I'm a franchise owner. I am a franchise of whatever company I'm working for. So I'm Vince Moreno Incorporated working for whomever. And I can make my franchise as successful as I want it to be. And by thinking about things in those terms, um, I was able to, to sell quite a bit and move up and then eventually move into sales management. And then I took that same philosophy. I tell people, listen, if you can be at 110% of plan by working four hours a week, God bless. I will not chase you down to figure out what you're doing the rest of the time. If it takes you 60 hours a week to get over plan, well, that's your choice too. We got to figure out why, but you know, um, approach it the same way. Approach it to see how much we can, how successful we can be with the least amount of you know, time per se so that we keep and make time for the other things that are even more important. And I think by sharing that philosophy with other people and then um, you know, being flexible that way, um, people have embraced it because I, everybody wants to do their best work. Nobody shows up to do poor work. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't create a culture that allows them to be their best and to be different, you know, to value that everybody is different, everybody's got a different way of thinking, which is a strength. It's not a, it's not a, a bad thing whatsoever. And you, you encourage that. Well, now you get some really good team dynamics and people, you know, building on each other and um, helping each other become even better because of the, the team environment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so much of what we've talked about today has really tied in with this whole idea of creating a positive culture where people want to give their best. You know, I love that you have the mindset that people want to be at their best. You don't assume they're going to want to do the minimum. And I think that that's a really important aspect of mindset too, is how do we think about and then interact with the people on our team? And it goes back to assumptions we make and, you know, attitudes we have towards folks. In wrapping up, Vince, I would just love if there's anything we have not talked about that you feel really contributes to creating a positive work culture where people thrive. Is there anything that we've missed in our conversation that you feel is important to share with my listeners? I don't know if we, we've missed anything. Just on this subject, if I could tell a, a quick story. Sure. Um, and I can't remember again the source. I'm terrible. I do a lot of reading, but I can't always remember my sources. Um, but there was a study done um, about a, a school. And the principal took half the teachers and brought them into a conference room and said that you're going to get the best and brightest this, this coming year. And you should have uh, quite a bit of success. And took the other teachers <clears throat> and said, unfortunately, you're going to get the, the slackers and the troublemakers and the difficult kids. And it's going to be a tough year, but it is the way it is. Well, at the end of the year, 
it proved out, except he'd never divided the children by their capability. He just randomly or she randomly assigned them to teachers. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you think people aren't going to do well, they probably won't. And if you do think they're going to do well, um, they're more likely to do so. And I think it's our job as leaders to have that mindset that everybody wants to do well. So you have to create that environment an error on the trust side that they're going to go and do the right things. And when they run into trouble to be helpful rather than to be critical, because again, everybody acts in their own best interest. So people don't act in their own best interest by not doing well, right? There's something that's getting in the way. Now, that's not to say you, you don't get, you know, this outlier and you, you, you got to part ways. But I think in most cases, if you're approaching it with the right mindset, you will find that people will be uh, productive. Um, they can be happy. They can contribute. Um, and they, they'll be willing to share that story with other people. And you'll be a magnet to attracting the best and brightest um, without having to, uh, you know, overpromise and underdeliver. People mm-hmm. want to be around people in organizations that um, have that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. Oh, those were real gems there, Vince. I love the the points there that you really brought everything together that we've talked about today. And and you're so right. The theme that runs through everything you say is that your your commitment to your own development your own growth and expansion so that then you can be the kind of leader. And it circles back to one of the early things you said about if the leader is not growing, then the team members will not be growing either. And as they see you striving to make improvements, then it's like it gives them permission to do that themselves and encourages them actually to do that. 100%. Yeah, you have to model the way, right? Yes. You have to show people as much as talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this has been such a rich conversation. I love everything you said. I love who you are as a leader. It's just very inspiring. And so I hope you always give yourself credit for the good work you're doing and realize how unique you are. Unfortunately, that you're unique, but in many ways you are compared to so many leaders who don't know, who haven't been growing and learning the way you have. So thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being with me today. And I would love for you to share with my listeners how they can connect with you and get a copy of your wonderful book, A A Daily Dose of Sales Wisdom. Well, thank you. Well, first, let me thank you for the honor of being on today and to uh, be able to speak with you, which is always a joy, but also to share this information um, with your listeners. Um, You can connect with me at Vince Barano on LinkedIn and A Daily Dose of Sales Wisdom is available on uh, Amazon as well as some other book sites. Um, I'd love for for people to uh, buy it and to learn from it and to post a review if they thought it was uh, worthy of their reading. Um, It's been a a special journey for me in doing that, as we talked about. And so I'm I'm very thankful to have the opportunity. Again, thank you. Great. Thank you, Vince. And I will look forward to your second book coming out before too long, probably, right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it'll it'll be uh, in December, but definitely um, I'm hoping for right after the 
first of the year. It's a book focused on um, jumpstarting a career in sales. Great. Exciting. Great. Thank you again, Vince. It's been such a pleasure having you here. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.